0: Conrad Slarbaum, we had the pleasure of connecting with him. Really has a, a not only a heart for sustainability, but as the audience will see, the the competency. I think to you know really trying to be a change agent. I really enjoyed our, our chat with him today. It's an it's an arena that I admittedly don't invest a lot of energy, no pun intended, uh, into. <laughs>
1: I like that pun. Uh, Yeah, I agree. For me personally, I feel that I am fairly connected in the sustainability world. Not necessarily that I'm doing all of my part, but I try to, but I I always love hearing about those things. And yeah, so we hope you enjoyed the episode, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your time. Until next time, Mad Podcast family. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Make a Difference podcast. We are so excited to be talking to Conrad today, who is very involved in his community, but his actual job title is the sustainability coordinator for the only... Office of Sustainability for the entire Colorado Community College system. Um, He's at Pikes Peak Community College in beautiful Colorado Springs. Um, He's also, like I said, an extremely active player in his local community um, and has helped to pass policies and such to help students within his college system. So Conrad, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. I totally jumbled that intro so I'm hoping that you can kick <laughs> us off by 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 giving yourself a much better intro than I did.
2: <laughs> um, so thanks for having me. Um, my name's Conrad Schlarbaum. I'm the sustainability coordinator for Pikes Peak Community College. I've been working in this position for seven years, um, and I I hold the only office and position for uh the for the 13 community colleges in the state of Colorado. There is a uh, office that is shared for the Aurora campus in Denver, but it's not a dedicated office. You will find that most universities in Colorado have a sustainability office and sustainability coordinator position. Um, In terms of the work that I've been doing uh, at Pikes Peak Community College, um, Jeremy Lee, which is part of your team at Madwire, um, was one of my first graphic designers for my program. And uh, I got to work with him to develop a, a program from, from the beginning, from, from nothing to something. And over the years, we've invested greatly in waste reduction and diversion, um, so reducing our resource footprint, as well as um, supporting our most vulnerable students through uh, food initiatives and transportation initiatives, um, and then looking at other things like energy efficiency and um, and serving the community in general, like creek cleanups and roadway cleanups and and service projects. Um, we try to take students and show students the value of serving their community and, and the mutual benefits that come from that relationship.
1: Awesome. So you just very briefly dove into what like a little teeny bit about what your position is, but I'm curious, tell us a little bit more. What does this what does being a sustainability Coordinator, mean you talked a little bit about making sure that you're you have greener practices and and you know shrinking the carbon footprint. But what on a daily basis does your role look like? What are you doing to get to those goals?
2: Yeah. So um, our mission is to foster a culture of resource conservation, social equity, and environmental stewardship. Um, and how we accomplish that is through. We employ students, graphic design students and students that support our programming, events and activities throughout the year. We partner with faculty, with teachers to put on um, activities for students to bring the curriculum to a real life and uh, situation. So they really learn the curriculum in an in-depth way. Um, we, we work with our, our operations um, team to help improve uh, the efficiency of of the use of our resources, as well as reduce the amount of resources that we need. Uh, We work with our strategic planning um, to plan for these things, plan for a pandemic, to plan for um, any kind of circumstance we may not, we, we, we kind of envision we might come across in the future, we can plan for right now, so we're not caught. For example, if the state decides to uh, require that we account for carbon uh, in our operations, then we would be prepared to do that. And then community outreach. We, we, uh, we, we like to make sure that community is in our name, Pikes Peak Community College. And that we're actively seeking out relationships with our community partners. And so it's mutual. So we hold a Children's Water Fest here every year where we invite 400 students to learn about water in the Pikes Peak region. And then we also go out into the community and clean a creek uh, three times a year and are part of two major regional uh, creek, creek cleanup efforts, one of which is the largest in the state of Colorado called Creek Week.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned being prepared, which is always a good thing. And being that you are in the education world, I'm really curious. And I promise this is the only time during this whole episode that I will bring this up. But I'm curious how you've seen changes because of COVID and also how you maybe foresee the future of schooling because of COVID? like What, if anything, do you think will maybe stick around based on the changes that had to be made?
2: Yeah. In in the sustainability world, we call the pandemic a shock, a shock to our systems, a shock to our bodies in a way um, that makes business as usual turn on its head and make us rethink how we're working, how we're living, and how we're educating students as well. And we've, uh, we've had to, at, at Pikes Peak Community College, we've had to really adapt how we offer our services and, and teach our students from primarily a, a, an in-person experience to a, a virtual experience. So it, it's made us value um, how we can offer those services and offer that learning experience online. So I think how that's going to change moving forward is we're gonna look at maintaining our online offerings while also uh, providing in-person offerings. We know that uh, a lot of our most vulnerable students tend to benefit more from an in-person learning experience than a virtual learning experience. So we want to make sure our our goal is to make sure we can provide educational opportunities to everyone regardless of of the struggles they've had with, uh, with, their, with high school or, or whatever um, reservations they have about whether or not they are college material. We wanna lower the, the playing field for them and show them that uh, and provide opportunities for them that would enable them to make a better life for themselves. And so um, we're, we're hoping to offer more in-person um, when it's safe to do so. And while still maintaining our virtual learning experiences,
0: so I'm I'm curious. Uh, I have a couple questions. One, what excites you the most about the work that you do?
2: Well, what excites me the most is uh, I guess what motivates me um, and excites me at the same time is the opportunity uh, that we have to um, think about the world in a different way. We are we are um, consuming resources far greater than the earth can replenish. And we are running up against limits to how how much we can consume individually and collectively. Uh, Sustainability professionals are trained to help organizations such as Pikes Peak Community College rethink how we're operating and how we're teaching students so that they can be change agents. We can be a change agent in our community as well as they can be change agents wherever they go beyond. Our, the, the college and so what excites me is is the opportunities of green technology and and becoming more efficient and using more renewable resources that are abundant in nature and protecting the very thing I mean we, li- we live in Colorado protecting uh, the very reasons why we, we want to live here uh, the natural um, you know beauty of, of of Colorado and the Rocky Mountains
0: Like what led you on a path to being in this particular field? Uh, Did you, were you in the outdoors a lot as a kid? Where are you from? Give us a little bit of that, that journey.
2: Yeah. I grew up in Aurora, East Colfax, Aurora area, which is pretty, not
0: a lot of, (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's a pretty rough area of of Aurora. Um, I grew up there the first 10 years of my life. And then I moved to Grand Junction, Colorado, which is on the opposite side of the state. Um, and then I joined the military after high school, um, served and work, uh, supported NATO in Belgium for two years and then was in Iraq for 15 months. Uh, came back, went to college um, and started off in business, then went over and I went into what's called recreation, tourism, hospitality. Because instead of seeing people as how much money do they bring to a, a business, I wanted to create an experience for them. Uh, one of my professors coined the term "the experience economy," that people are more interested in experiences, not things, um, and that really inspired me. And then I took a class in um, sustainable living offered at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. I did a life cycle analysis on a cell phone, and I followed, which meant that I investigated all the materials that went into making a cell phone back to their original locations around the world and map the story for how they came to be a cell phone in my hand. And I learned about all the um, environmental and social um, consequences of of that system, so much so that I realized that you know, we don't realize as consumers in America that the things that we buy come with a story attached to it. And that story isn't necessarily something we know um, that has a lot, that a lot of influence on people and where they, and, and other places around the world. And so um, that just changed my whole per- worldview in a sense from, from, uh, from kind of a, uh, self-centered to more of a to a global perspective and not just looking at people but looking at the environment as well and the connections between people planet and prosperity yeah and that drove me to uh, double major in sustainability and then eventually uh, i got this job uh, right after that and uh, i've been here for seven years and i just got my master's degree in sustainability last year and it's just, it just keeps, I, I constantly am reading and, and, and um, I have this Facebook group called Green Cities Coalitions, part of the, the nonprofit that I started. And I constantly post uh, new articles about uh, new trends and policies that are happening uh, locally as well as globally. And so I'm just really inspired to see all the movement even if it's not happening locally, I'm inspired by all the other action that are out there to continue the work
0: locally. Can you give us in the audience a little, if possible, it may not be possible. Can you talk a little bit more about the actual life cycle of the phone?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple uh, minerals and phones that are called rare earth minerals that are only found in small quantities around the world. And they're often in what's called conflict zones. Um, so there's this mineral called Colton that's found in the Ivory Coast of Africa, uh, where children mine this mineral from. Uh, from the mines and, and the Ivory Coast and uh, for use in these um, cell phones. And what's interesting is a cell phone lasts as long well, this used to be when they had contracts as long as they as, as long as your contracts. So if your contracts for three years, your cell phone lasts for three years. So um, it helps me understand this idea of planned obsolescence that materials uh, are often designed to to be obsolete, um, but they don't have to be they can be made. And I think in the past things were made to, to last for a long time and to be repairable um, that you can switch out components and, and and update things without throwing the whole thing away.
0: Yeah. You look at the automobile.
2: Right. And so uh, with cell phones, you know, that we seem to think those are disposable, like, you know, after three or four years, because they become obsolete one way or another that we just get rid of it. But what happens to those minerals? Right. Uh, You know, you can recycle them, but you don't really get a whole lot of money from recycling them um, if you if you hold on to them for for three years, three to five years. And so I I think emerging industry would be mining landfills um, for these kinds of materials that uh, are not abundant. And I don't know if it's a wise idea to have an industry supported on a very finite resource such as these rare earth minerals, and how much, how much wars are gonna be fought or conflicts are gonna be had from the extraction of these materials. Could we not innovate ourselves out of this situation to find a more abundant and readily available material uh, that could substitute for these rare earth minerals?
0: So these minerals, how rare are we talking? Not only in terms of supply, but how many minerals?
2: I'm not sure on the specifics. I don't. This was uh, 10 years ago when I did this study Um, but you can, you can Google rare earth minerals and find, uh, where those locations are of those minerals. And there's um, some great research out there on, um, just the supply of those of those resources and how we might be end up mining the moon or, or mining meteorites or something like that to get these materials rather than thinking about other alternatives or the fact that we don't need to throw these things away that they're like we talk about um, cradle to grave when it comes to resources. So, uh, cradle to grave means they're designed to fail. They're designed to to end up in the landfill. But then there's this idea called cradle to cradle, where they're designed to be improved upon, repaired, repurposed, and reused again. And perhaps, uh, you know, in the future, more things are gonna be designed, it's called the circular economy, that the materials for which we use to power our economy can be reused over and over and over again, be redesigned, reconfigured, um, reimagined over and over again without much loss, without much waste.
1: It seems like, bear with me, I'm going to get to a question, but it seems like these makers of phones or the cell phone companies themselves could partner with the makers of phones and have a program to when you go to the store and trade in your phone, Or you're ready to get a new phone because the technology literally changes every single year. And it's like you want the next and best thing, which is a problem in itself. But it just seems to me like there could be a way where instead of just the phones ending up in the landfill, these companies could do more to actually recycle parts that then could be used. Which brings me to a question. That was just a thought I had, but this brings me to a question. What can we as consumers who just take a phone in our hands and don't really even think about about it, right? Like this is like my my literal lifeline. It's pathetic, but it's true. What can we as consumers do to be better? And I'm not just talking about cell phones and and making sure that we're understanding how they're made and where they're where they come from and ensuring that this doesn't end up in a landfill, but just in general, what are some tips that you have for the normal population to have and to live a more sustainable lifestyle. Yeah.
2: It's a, you, you pointed out a, a great, um, concept there. It's called producer responsibility. Often we think often in, in this day and age, we, we tend to think it's on the consumer to figure out what to do with the phone after its use at, after its useful life. But really what about the producer being responsible hmm. for the phone after its useful life? And the producer has the uh, benefit of not having to go mine these minerals out of a mine in Africa. They can just take the minerals, extract them from their phones, and they can make phones to where they're easily extractable rather than difficult to extract and and reuse those materials over and over again. So one thing is to put social pressure on cell phone manufacturing companies to, have what's called that cyclical economy. So that, that cycle, that closed loop cycle of where minerals are constantly reused and advocating for that. The other piece, uh, the other two points I would make is this idea of using technology to, to the end of its useful life. You're often sold when you buy a cell phone, you're often sold on features and capacity beyond what you will ever use, in the life of your phone. So what about getting a phone that suits your use, that is tailored to what you need it for, um, and not one-off, you know, uh, types of things. Um, You know, the off chance I might use this, the off chance I might use that, and, and that sort of thing. And so this idea of using it for the full Three to five years, I think, is three to five years is the general rule of thumb for technology. It's usually supported um, and usually functional for up for up to three to five years. Now, whether or not you you need that extra gadget or, or that extra tool or whatever feature that 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 new phone offers, you got to ask yourself. And this is the th- the third thing, and that's called appropriate technology. So, is it appropriate? Is it wise to invest into this new phone with this new feature? Is it worth it? What are the opportunity costs? What do you give up? How much money are you paying for, for that additional feature? Is it worth the cost of, of abandoning the full life of your current phone to, to buy a new phone? And and that's kind of, you know, they have those upgrade programs every so often you upgrade your phone, but really they're premature, meaning that they, you're upgrading your phone before the useful life of your phone ends and 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 therefore you're contributing to a, a massive e-waste problem that we have uh, where our e-waste gets into other places around the world and people's lives are in danger from having to extract the the minerals and stuff from them without any um, protection for their health and for the health and the environment hmm. and so so uh, just to recap you have producer responsibility you have, um, so applying pressure on producers uh, to be responsible for their stuff. Um, then you have the second one, which is making sure you get phones and using them for their whole lifetime and getting exactly what you need. And then appropriate technology where you ask your, you, you question whether or not you need that additional, you know, that additional device, that additional feature, um, whether or not you're, you're best served by that, by investing prematurely in this new technology.
0: For sure, man. That's a lot, but it, it's it's real and it makes sense. I'm going to shift gears a little bit, not off the subject, but just in terms of what I'm asking. Sustainability uh, is just like much of the things that, the much of the arenas that we all walk in and things that we have to think about is one of those arenas where there's differing opinions on impact, influence, uh, what it, exists, even existence, right? And so, I'd be curious to know from your perspective, knowing that, how would you engage someone who is maybe skeptical of a sustainability issue? How would you maybe approach that conversation to begin to get a conversation started? And I'm and I'm specifically asking, how would you approach it to get a conversation started? Because I think regardless of whatever the issue is, we're, we're lacking the ability to have a conversation. You're coming into it saying I have to be right, you have to be wrong. Right. And so just how how would you go about initiating, not initiating, I want to give you the freedom to actually articulate it yourself, not without making you say it the way I want. But I'm just curious how you would approach or try to get someone to think differently about the issue or put some a spark in their mind to make them, you know, think about just where you're coming from.
2: Yeah. And in this field, we have to be um, we have to acknowledge uh, most people don't know what sustainability is. Um, in, and and when they do, they have a they don't have an accurate picture of what it is. They they tend to think of it as financial sustainability, just keep the money rolling in type of thing, um, rather than you know the triple bottom line idea, which is planet, people, prosperity, and those three concepts are interconnected. Um, you cannot separate the, the you can't have prosperity without planet. You can't have prosperity without people, and all people, not just some people. Um, and so there's uh, and 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 this there's social justice that needs to be happened um, where where there's a lot of disparities between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, when it comes to approaching people, well, well what do they value? You know, uh, going through a series of questions about what what does a company value, what does an organization value, what does an individual value, what kind of issues are they having? Uh, They often, people often look at issues on the surface level. You know, I'm experiencing a pandemic and I can't go around and act normal uh, in my day-to-day life. That's the surface. but What's happening at the very root of that problem? Well, we're having more interactions with wild animals and animals because of our intrusion on the natural environment, because societies are expanding, cities are expanding into the natural environment. We're having more interactions with wild animals. And these sorts of pandemics will, unfortunately, may continue to happen. Are we going to learn from this? Are we going to see that these things are connected, that our intrusion on the environment is causing interactions with people and wild animals, is causing these kinds of this pandemic, these diseases to be spread from animals to humans? Uh, We have to think about the connections. And so I would approach things from what are people experiencing right now? What is it that they're stressed out about? And, and, and think about it from a sustainability lens, from the people, planet, prosperity lens. So from this perspective, from that perspective, and from the third perspective, what does this look like at its root cause? And then we can find what's called a sustainable solution. It's a solution that will test, that will um, endure the test of time. Um, often we think in short term, like, how can I just get over this minor inconvenience or this short term issue that I'm dealing with and get on with my life? If we don't learn from these things and we don't comprehensively think about them, we fall victim to them reoccurring in the future. And so I always approach people from a, a, a listening and learning uh, perspective versus uh, I have some ideas you may not know about that I think you should you should consider and then we go from there because they might be shut off. I need to, whatever doors are open in terms of conversation, wherever that goes. And then I just bring in sustainability perspectives along the way. And together we learn about how this can work. I always say I work alongside people, not directly over people. You know, I, I come alongside people and I'm not an expert myself. I'm a generalist. I often call myself, I'm a generalist in a specialist world, meaning we, our economy prides itself on specialists. But specialists have a hard time working together with each other. You often need a generalist to help different specialists understand where they can be valued in in a project and how the outcomes of the project can benefit from a generalist being the glue that sticks it all together. And so I feel I'm the generalist and and I have to make sure that I don't know how to switch out an, uh, uh, an air conditioning unit. But I can work with the HVAC technician to do that. And we can identify uh, a unit that is more efficient and 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 that'll and has a better warranty and will be better served, even if it means a, a, a larger upfront cost.
1: So you are obviously a leader in this area, and I'm sure that you have a lot of conversations with people um, just about the environment and ways that we can protect it and what we need to do to ensure that this earth is still here for many years to come. And so I'm curious because it can be, not always, but it can be a controversial topic. It, it's very politicized. When you meet people, talk to people, what is this the single best thing that you as a leader in this arena can do to inspire people to make changes, even small changes in their daily lives to help with sustainability?
2: I start with the the things that people relate to, the things that, you know, the challenges they face. I don't try to educate them about climate change. I don't try to get them to agree with me about conserving and preserving the environment. Um, we all come from different perspectives as far as what that looks like instead I try to talk about what they're interested in are you interested in saving money? are you interested in having better social inclusion and diversity are you interested in um, reducing our footprint some people are some people really enjoy the the environmental perspective some people are really on the social justice social inclusion perspective some people are really mo- on the saving money. In fact, I find I start with the saving money because that's universal. People want to save money <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. But saving money comes at a cost, right? You have to invest to save money, if, you know? And, and so that's, to some, you can't just sacrifice. Sacrifice is a, a word everybody wants to throw around. But instead of sacrifice, I, I use the word, let's invest into our future so we can save money. And in fact, a lot of sustainability programs are based on this idea of a revolving fund, which means you give me $100,000 and I will double, triple, quadruple that $100,000 over time. And you will never have to give me a dollar again. It'll support my operations moving forward because everything that I invest in has a, a monetary payback period, a return right. on investment. Right. Um, and uh, there's some programs that purely run off of that. Now, not everything has a monetary... Turn uh, of um, uh, monetary uh, 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 quality to it. Meaning, um, you know, if I increase the diversity of an organization, that diversity of thought leads to more innovation. But there's no monetary, it would be hard to assess how much diversity actually played and the innovations that that, that company ended up um, putting out there in the market. And so I often approach things from what. What is it, what are the goals of the institution? What are the personal goals that you have for yourself? You know, how do you wanna, how do you wanna be the best you can be? Um, and sustainability works with everyone. No matter what position you're in, you can think about how to conserve resources. You can think about how to um, support a team. Uh, and you can think about how you can reduce your footprint on the environment. Maybe become a paperless office where no paper comes in, no paper goes out. No need for a printer no need for paper and how much money could a company save just from that policy alone since a lot of things are transitioning to digital right now because of the pandemic could we challenge ourselves to become a paperless office or a paperless company is that possible um, and let's let's see how we can go but let's not let's not disadvantage anybody along the way and that's the thing with green technology and innovation is we, we often forget about the vulnerable people the people may lack technical skills um, to transition to a digital platform, and we would have to help them transition um, and, and encourage them along the way. We cannot abandon them for the sake of this goal. And that's part of the social aspect, social equity aspect of sustainability.
0: Let's go. All right. We're going to shift gears here. Time for rapid fire, Conrad. All right. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. First up, what's the last book you've started and finished? I don't really finish a whole lot of books. (laughs)
2: I'll be honest. Like I just, I, I, I have, you take the meat and just leave the rest. Well, yeah, I, I I don't, I don't read a book from cover to cover. I I tend to read based on what I'm interested in or what challenges I've faced at the time. So I'm constantly referencing different books all the
0: time. Um, All right. So give us that last one. Okay.
2: So, so the book that, that I found most useful is the, uh, uh, this is it's called the The Age of Sustainable Development by Jeffrey Sachs out of Columbia University. It's really considered the foremost text on on sustainability and, and what that looks like. It's dense though. It's 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 crazy in terms of trying to comprehend everything.
0: So no wonder you didn't finish. All right. <laughs>
2: right. So a book that I, I would suggest for, for people who, are, who want to get to know sustainability a little bit more is called Sustainability Principles and Practices. And, and this is by uh, Margaret Robertson. And uh, it really just runs you through. Uh, sustainability was actually a term used back in the 1700s, early 1700s. And so it's actually been a concept that's been used over time. We've just lost track of it uh, since the industrial revolution and kind of just been on this really, you know, let's consume as many resources as we can without ever thinking that there's limits to how much we can consume, whether there's 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 consequences of how much we can consume. So I would suggest sustainability principles and practices. I just read the first two chapters uh, yesterday, and I'm very impressed with that book and would recommend it to everyone.
0: All right, Roger that, Roger that. If you have one favorite quote.
2: Okay, so my favorite quote. Comes from Renee Dubose, who's a uh, microbiologist. She drafted a report with Barbara Ward uh, called "Only One Earth." And you might this might be familiar to our audience, but uh, the, the phrase goes: "Think globally, act locally." So our our consumption, because we have a globalized economy, our consumption impacts the world, and and socially, environmentally, and economically. So we need to think locally. Think about the actions that we take locally, and how those actions can reverberate into global, um, global ideas and global consequences.
1: I've heard that quote before, and I never knew where it came from. So thank you. <laughs> uh, what is the single? I know there's many traits, but if you had to pick the single greatest trait that a leader can possess, what would it be?
2: I would say. Um, understanding the the talents and the, the, the struggles and strengths of your team of your organization and helping them be the best they can be supporting them you're as a leader you're only as good as your team and the more you put into your team the more you guide them towards a path of success the better off the outcomes will be so I would suggest listening and, and supporting and, and and incorporating feedback loops into your team, and democratizing the, the organizational structure. No higher, There's not a lot of hierarchy. There's people that are custodians that are on your leadership team to help you make decisions about how to move the organization forward.
1: Love that.
0: Childhood, childhood hero. <sighs> so that'd be Captain Planet. <laughs> 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 how fitting. Let's go. I
1: love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. This is tough, but if first first person that comes to mind, person who impacted you the most,
2: I would say uh, it was my my mentor at the University of Northern Colorado, Doctor Richard Juren, who um, went against all convention in terms of how sustainability was taught. That sustainability wasn't. I was in the second cohort of a program uh, of of a program that just initially got started. And he he championed all of that. I I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for him. And that and that um, sustainability uh, living class. So um, I really appreciate the work that he's done uh, to help inspire me to do to take on this work and make it my lifelong journey.
0: All right, all right, all right. I got one more for you. What is your biggest, your greatest fear, if you have one?
2: A greatest fear I would have is um, a world of chaos, um, just because of conflict and. And, and losing our way. And we, I, I would hope for a less selfish world, you know, where where we see the value of supporting each other over the value of our own gain, individual gain. Um, but I, I worry uh, at times uh, that we we're we kind of stuck in a rut and and I hope that we can get out. So my, my biggest fear is that we, we can't get over ourselves to help support the greater whole, you know, that we can, it's. It, you know the greatest good for the great amount, greatest number of people kind of thing um, but that that we would all strive to that rather than individual gain which we can kind of get caught up in we we all struggle with individual gain but um, i can tell you i find more reward in and and and, the, and benefiting somebody else than something benefiting me
0: what what's your favorite thing to do outside of being in your chosen field of work
2: favorite thing to do would be um you know, um enjoying the great outdoors and traveling. Um
0: that's still uh, linked to your in their work though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um outside of my work. Uh <laughs> everything's connected to my work, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so <laughs> um, real. <laughs>
2: raising my you know, honestly, raising my kids and my family, uh, you know, Let's that is something on. I take a lot of pride in. And uh um, how many children you have? I'm first foremost a family member and then everything else. Um so I have two kids. one my, my youngest, uh, Caleb is turning two today. Happy birthday. Happy
1: Birthday, Caleb.
2: And then Lucas uh, was born uh, two days after Earth Day, the 24th of <laughs> April. and he'll be turning five later this in April. Are you married?: I'm yeah, I'm married. you married. Wife uh, Rebecca, and she'll be we'll be uh, celebrating our 10th anniversary
0: and let's August. go shout out to Rebecca 10 years. And happy birthday to Caleb. Happy
1: birthday to Caleb. Little (laughs) two-year-old.
0: Okay. So I'm going to try something different. Farah. if you're cool with this. Oh, boy. Yes, yes, yes. And and so, Conrad, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, (laughs) tell me, okay? We normally like to have those who we get to connect with on the podcast leave a parting message to um, the audience, the Mad Podcast family. And so... I want to switch it up today, being that it's your son's birthday. Leave a parting message for the audience, not for the audience, for for Caleb, and for the rest of the young Caleb's out there in this world.
2: I just uh, bought a book. It was a Caldecott winner for my son's for birthday called "The Water Protectors," and um, I wrote a note in it for them to be um, to join me in being uh, protectors of land water plants and animals. Um, and so that would be my message to, to, to everyone and the kids out there is to, to be uh, water protectors, land protectors, plant protectors, and, uh, uh, and animal protectors, because those there's no one to advocate for them. We have to advocate for them. We have to be there for them. And they support life as we know it. And um, they don't have rights. Uh, there, there's no standing that they have, other than the fact that they support life as we know it, and so um, unfortunately that's not enough, right? Um, and we all don't know that. We all don't know that by ruining the environment, we're we're diminishing our ability to survive on this planet. So my my challenge is for everyone to become change agents, uh, disruptors of the business as usual, and to protect our land, water
1: animals and plants love that
0: well Conrad Schlarbaum thank you for being with us on the make a difference podcast mad podcast family thank you for taking the time to connect with Conrad and uh, Farrah and myself Conrad thank you for being with us today we appreciate your time and happy birthday to your son
1: and to our listeners out there go out and make a difference as always and Uh,
0: yeah Let's and
1: uh, maybe, hopefully, this particular episode will inspire you to go out and make a difference in sustainability. So, until next time, family, thanks for being with us.
0: Or at least hold on to the cell phone a bit longer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. At least maybe don't get rid of your cell phone after one year. Accurate. Let's go. <laughs>
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you, Fair. Thanks, Conrad.
1: Thank you, Farah. Thank you, Darius.